uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to pick it up, but maybe not. So we're going to read in the book of Galatians. Um, and we're going to be reading in chapter number 5. This is... I wonder if we should put off the, the, the main lights and maybe that will help you see the slides a little bit. Is that okay, folks? Or do you need it on to read your Bible? You need it on to read your Bible. That's probably a better idea. It doesn't matter about my slides. <laughs> it doesn't matter about my slides. Yeah, better to read your Bible. Well, as you see, this is part seven of my session on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And you may be saying you're not making very good progress, and you're absolutely right. We're making slow progress, but there's part of that that's deliberate, really. Um, we're trying to put down solid foundations about the person and work of the Holy Spirit of God. And if you remember last time we were together, the word that we put up was indispensable, the absolute essential nature of the word of the Holy Spirit of God. There are a variety of things that would be essential in a Christian life. One is the word of God, isn't it? Absolutely. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And um, how could we live without the Bible? Uh, and that's an absolute essential in the Christian word. But the work of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential as well. It's indispensable. To live a Christian life and a life that glorifies God is more than just knowing the Bible. There are Departments and universities all over the world that are devoted to the study of the text of the Bible, the archaeology of it, the manuscript evidence for it. And they're full of people that know words but don't know the God that wrote the Bible. Uh, And so the way we understand, uh, the way we come to know God and understand God and the things that please God is when God by his spirit takes his word and through his spirit makes it real in our own personal experience. And so without the Holy Spirit of God, we just have no way of either understanding or progressing in the things of God. So you would often find, for example, in Paul's epistles, that he'll spend a few chapters giving you doctrinal truth. You you know what I mean by that. He'll give you solid theological Bible teaching, and then he'll move from that into the second half of his book and show you how that that work that word of God becomes real in a Christian life and one of the great illustrations of that is the book of Galatians Ephesians true and we're going to read in Galatians chapter 5 tonight just to introduce this because what I want to think about tonight is what is the evidence that God is at work by his spirit how do we know it's God by his spirit that's at work and we're going to read all that, read that thing. So let's begin in verse number 16 of uh, Galatians chapter 5. Paul says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lusts of the faith. And if you just flick down your Bible, look at verse 18, If you be led of the Spirit... A little further down, verse 22, where we're going to stop tonight. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse number 25. If we live in the Spirit, verse 25, walk in the Spirit, verse number um, 8 of chapter 6. 
for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit leap, reap life everlasting. And if there's anything you get at the end of Galatians chapter 5 is that the practical life of a Christian is the life that's controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That, that's, that's the big theme towards the end of the book of Galatians. So, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would and you're already thinking about Romans chapter 7 aren't you that battle that comes within us and how the, the, the spirit is the one that gives us victory and when you get to Romans 7 and Romans 8 there's a man struggling at the end of Romans 7 but there's a man victorious in, in, in chapter 8 and again go down through chapter 8 take a little marker and just note the number of times the spirit is referred to in Romans chapter 8 and so a victorious Christian life is the life that is lived in the, spirit, in the victory of the spirit of God so that you cannot do the things that you would but if you be led by the spirit you are not under the law now, the works of the flesh are manifest. You, you see that word? That means displayed, evident. So that's what I'm thinking about, evidence tonight. How do we know God's, what God's um, spirit is at work? The works of the flesh are manifest, are evident, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, he hasn't fully exhausted the, the, those dreadful works of the flesh. Of the which I tell you before, and I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, if you've got a study Bible, the word do, they that do such things, it means that those who practice these things habitually. Right? That's what it means. It doesn't mean that when a person becomes a Christian, they never sin again. But they seldom sin again, if you know what I mean. But those that are practicing sin and practicing these, that's the character of their life, those things, those people shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You're thinking about other passages, First John, First uh, Corinthians 6. Though that's a very common biblical truth, that the character of a life is the evidence of what really is in the life, rather than a single instant. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And that will do, actually, for the reading tonight. We're not recapping much tonight. We're just going to make a couple. One of the first things we said when we come to the Holy Spirit of God is this. Beware of forgeries. Beware of forgeries. Because there's lots of forgeries around. And we looked at how even the devil takes the things of the Word of God and reproduces them. You know, in the last days there'll be signs and lying wonders, it calls it, and they actually look real, but they're actually forgeries. So we need to be very, very aware 
of forgeries that profess to be a work of the Spirit of God, but are actually not a work of the Spirit of God. Now, I was telling you that I know a number of forgers, real forgers that do uh, 20 and 50 pound notes. They never put the people that are deceived into jail. They always put the deceivers into jail. You see that? It's always the ones that are doing the deception that are the offenders. The ones that are deceived are innocent victims. And sad to say, amongst Christians, there's a lot of innocent victims who've been taught spurious and uh, false things about the Holy Spirit of God. And the teachers that do that, that's why teachers are held particularly responsible in the Bible. And there's, I could name a few, but I won't. But there are a lot of false teachers I can think of right off the top of my head now that are spewing out forgeries when it comes to the work of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So we have to try and avoid not just forgeries, but we have to avoid confusion. Because if you don't understand the truth of the Word of God, you won't understand the truth of the Holy Spirit of God. So the way to avoid forgery and the way to avoid confusion is what? Is to get your Bible out and make sure that everything comes back according to the Word of God. So that's really what we're saying. Last time we were here, we were talking about the distinctions, the important distinction between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you were here, you'll remember I spent a lot of time drawing that distinction. We won't draw that distinction tonight. Just sufficient to say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a single historical event into which everybody comes when they're converted. It's not a repeated event. It's not an event that happens after you're saved. It's that single event in First Corinthians, in Acts chapter two, that we come into the good of when we're converted. And there's a verse from First Corinthians twelve that will that will prove that to you. It says, "For in one Spirit were we all baptized in one to one body, Jew or Greek, slaves or free, and were all made to drink into one Spirit." And that's always in the the past tense. It's always referred to in the past tense. And if you look through your New Testament, if you want to make your Bible your guide, you think, you know, where does it say they were baptised in the Spirit? It only says in Acts 2 that they were baptised in the Spirit. There's no other record of that anywhere in the Bible. But you say, I have a wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute. There's places in the Acts of the Apostles where what happened in Acts 2 happened again. So was that a single historical event? Let me try and explain. The Holy Spirit of God came down on the day of Pentecost, didn't he? Who was involved in the day of Pentecost? It was Jews, wasn't it? They were all gathered at Jerusalem. It was Jews and they all spoke in foreign languages and every man heard in their own language and there was Jews. And then if you go a little further into your Bible and you go into Acts chapter 8, You'll discover that a similar thing, not the same, but a similar thing happened in Acts 8 with another group of people. They were called Samaritans. Now, who were the Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans were a kind of mongrel race of Jews and Gentiles that had interbred during the time of after the Assyrian um, exile. And so they were kind of Jews and kind of Gentiles and they've got their own form of Judaism. You remember John 4 when the Lord went and spoke to the woman at the well? You know, you say it's Jerusalem that we should worship, but we worship here, the Samaritan woman said. And the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. We know that from our Bible. And yet the Lord says, excuse me, 
Samaritans are going to be included in this work as well, and I'm going to prove how, because I'm going to do exactly what the Samaritans what I did with the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Hmm? It's not exactly the same, but it has the same evidences associated with it. There's another group of people in the world at the time. And these are what they call proselytes. What is that? That's Gentiles that have said, the Jews are of God, and I'm going to convert to being a Jew. Now, they weren't born Jews of the 12 tribes of Israel, but they were saying, I want to be a Jew, and I'll take all the Jewish practices on, and I'll go to the synagogue, and I'll, I'll get circumcised, and I'll become a Jew. And they were called proselytes. And one of the finest examples of a proselyte is a Roman centurion called Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And so in Acts chapter 10, when the gospel comes first to proselytes, do you know what happens? The same thing again. Same thing again. And what is God saying? God's saying, let me tell you, this is not just for you Jews. Don't you get up on your high horse and think that you're the only people that God's going to bless now. Because God's going to just bless Jews and he's going to bless Samaritans exactly the same as he blesses Jews and he's going to bless proselytes exactly the same as he blesses Jews. That went totally against anything that Jews believed. They were, the, they were the pedigree. They were the top of the heap. Nobody came close to them. But now God's saying, I'm sorry, you've no advantage. Everybody else is just going to be dealt with exactly the same. There was a fourth group of people in the world at the time. There was Jews, Samaritans, proselytes. You know who the fourth group were? They were Gentiles. People that weren't Jews, they weren't Samaritans, they had no interest in the things of God for the Old Testament. They were in Ephesus and Corinth and they were in places like that. So in Acts 19, in Ephesus, when the first Gentiles get truly saved, what happens? Same thing again. So, so what am I saying? Single baptism in the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, but three further occurrences of things that had the same marks about them. That God's saying, listen, everybody's included and nobody's excluded. And everybody's included in exactly the same way. And that baptism of the Spirit is such a significant event in Acts chapter 2. By one Spirit were we all baptised into one body. So, that, that'll, do, that'll do for that, I think. Is that, is that... Second thing is this. An indisputable fact. Listen to this. Um, this is called the indwelling and the sealing of the Spirit. You're not in the flesh and the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Can you see the, the clear language here? Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So what's the corollary of that? Everybody who belongs to him has the spirit of Christ. You see that? Why? Because we, we read it in Ephesians 1 when we were right back at the beginning. Having believed, ye were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. So when a person becomes a Christian, the minute they are converted, the minute they trust in Christ and God's Holy Spirit enters, they come into the good of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and immediately, right there, indisputable fact, God grants them the Holy Spirit and his fullness right there and right then. Indisputable fact. But we had moved on to the filling of the Spirit. I think a lot of the confusion of our modern day amongst people who are deceived is because the biblical distinction between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit is not understood. So when we come to look at the filling of the Spirit, 
we see that that wasn't a single historical event. That's something that happened to believers continually. That was what we read in Acts 13. The disciples were filled and kept on being filled by the Holy Spirit of God. A daily experience of allowing God by his Spirit to fill your life. To take control of your thoughts and take control of your actions and and motivate your life and reveal Christ to you. And, And the filling of the Spirit is allowing God by his Spirit to work in your life. And we all have places that we don't want him to go, don't we? We all have places in our life that we would rather not the Spirit of God interfered with. Activities or thoughts or practices or people. And Paul says... Every day the disciples were filled and they kept on being filled by the Holy Spirit of God. So, folks, it's a daily thing that we should be, we should be seeking every day by God's grace to allow his Holy Spirit to fill us. Now, there's two parts to that. There's the passive part. In other words, we yield to the Holy Spirit of God. But there's an active part. That means that when God's Holy Spirit reveals something to us, when he says to do it, we do what? We do it. We do it. And that's why I'm getting towards evidence tonight. How do we know I'm a spirit-filled Christian? I'm a dispenser of the Holy Spirit. I'm the, I'm the I've heard it said, the Holy Spirit bartender. How do we know that? How do we know that? Because somebody says it? Or because there's real evidence associated with it? So that's one of the things I want to look at tonight. I want to look at the filling of the Spirit because Paul says in Ephesians 5, Be not unwise... But understanding what the wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of God is, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. And that word filled is a command. It's something we should always be sitting down and thinking, it's a command from God to be filled with the Spirit. Am I am I am I filled with the Spirit? You know, it's a command of the Lord to believe. Do I believe? It's a command of the Lord to be baptised. Am I baptised? It's a command of the, of the Lord to, to, to be filled with the Spirit. Am I filled with the Spirit? So what I've done here is, I've gone through the Acts of the Apostles and showed you and, and picked out what happens when somebody's filled with the Spirit. How do you know somebody's filled with the Spirit? We'll go back to Ephesians 5 and look at that in a bit. But here's the incidences in Acts of the Apostles when the Bible says the people were filled with the Spirit. You know the first one? Acts 2. Acts 2. The day of Pentecost, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spoke in other tongues as God gave them utterance. We could spend weeks studying that. But what that means is there was no babbling of confusion. What happened was people, it says, every man heard them speak, what? In their own language. In their own language. And if you're interested in that, we can go through the Bible if you like, and we can show that in every place where tongues were spoken, it was not some unknown babble. It was a known language at the time. And either the people understood it without an interpreter, or an interpreter was present to give the the understanding. That's what happened in Acts 2. Then there was Acts 4. It says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He preached a long, long sermon. (laughs) He preached a long sermon. And he went right through the history of Israel and he preached. And he didn't preach in a strange language. He preached in his language, but he preached the word of God. He preached the word. A person who's filled with the Spirit is someone who declares the word of God. Declares the word of God. And, and my granny, 
My granny, you couldn't have been in her presence without her quoting a Bible verse within two or three sentences of speaking to her. She was so filled with the word of God and filled with the spirit of God that it just kept coming out of her. She spoke the word of God. And Peter's preaching. Peter's standing up and he's preaching and he's filled with the spirit and he preaches with power. But it's got more, more than just preachers to do. It's got to do with us in our, our life using the word of God. I don't know if you've ever heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, Westminster. Um, he was a great preacher of the, the 70s and 80s. And his wife uh, went somewhere to another church with him when he was on holiday. And they listened to a preacher. And this is what his wife said afterwards to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Poor man, preaching without the Spirit of God. You see, if you're a Christian, you know the difference, don't you? You know the difference when somebody preaches in the power of the Holy Spirit and when there's somebody just saying words. And that's why Paul says, my word came to you not in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And what kind of preaching are we praying for in this wee hall? We're not praying for clever preaching, are we? We're praying for preaching that's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So that was one. Chapter 4, verse 31 it says they were all filled with the Spirit after Peter had gone back, after being arrested. They were all filled with the Spirit and they all spoke with boldness. It's the Holy Spirit of God as he fills us that gives us courage to speak for him. And you say to, you say to yourself, you know, I could never speak up for the Lord. Well, you're dead, right? Neither could I. But the courage that we have for speaking up for the Lord in a world that doesn't want him and actually hates him, that courage doesn't come from us naturally. It comes from us by the Spirit of God. God gives us boldness to speak. And there's bits in the Bible that will tell you, actually, you don't really understand what courage you can have until the time comes when you need it. (laughs) Isn't that right? The Lord says, listen, don't you take any thought about what you're going to say beforehand. Because when the time comes, don't you worry. I'll give you the words to speak. I'll give you the words to speak. And how do we get the words to speak? Well, as we have the Word of God in us and the Spirit of God filling us, when we come to speak, we speak not just the right words, we speak words with power and conviction, with boldness. Chapter 9, verse 17. It's Paul converted. And Ananias comes to him. And he says, Arise and be filled with the Spirit and be baptised. So what does the Spirit of God do? The Spirit of God makes us obedient to the Word of God. That's, that's what it does. A Spirit-filled Christian is a Christian that's obedient to the Word of God. Now, Ephesians 5 says, Be ye filled with the Spirit. And then there's a whole section of how that will be worked out in your life, in your family life, in your, in your personal life, and all things. In Colossians chapter 3, there's ex- not exactly the same, but there's an almost identical list of characteristics. And Paul, at the beginning of that list, doesn't say be filled with the Spirit. Do you know what he says at the beginning of that list? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what he's saying is this. The filling of the Spirit and obedience to the Word of God, they're totally compatible. The filling of the Spirit brings you into obedience to the Word of God. And Paul does that. He is baptised, he goes into fellowship, he gives testimony. And... There are so many people who say, the Spirit of God told me to do this, and it's totally contrary to the Word of God. And that's one of your, that's one of your touchstones. The Spirit of God, show me in the Bible. Show me in the Bible. 
And they say, I can't show you in the Bible, but it's the work of the Spirit of God. I would say, well, I'm sorry. I'm just going to stick with this, if you don't mind. <laughs> because that's what the Bible says. The Word of God brings you into, the Spirit of God brings you into conformity with the Word of God. And then here's one. Acts 13 and 9. The Spirit of God gives you spiritual discernment. <laughs> it's a bit of a story. There was a man called Simon, and he wanted some... Um, he was a false... He was a false... Christian, right? Okay, too long a story to tell you. But Paul, by his spirit, discerned that this guy wasn't right. Folks, it's true, isn't it? That sometimes when you come across somebody or something, there's just something inside you says, This is not right. This is not right. Do you know what that is? That's the Spirit of God. John says, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. You know, I've heard preachers and I've been listening to the internet and I'm just thinking, I just can't even put my finger on it. But I know there's something no right about this. There's not something right about this. And that's the work of God's Holy Spirit to give us a sin. Um, and then the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us joy. To give us joy. The doctor, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said this, that the greatest enemy of Christianity in the world is miserable Christians. <laughs> you get that, don't you? You get that, don't you? The story told of two wee boys. They went to a gospel hall somewhere and they, they, had never, they didn't know what was going on inside. And so they decided to look through the window to see what was going on at the, the window. And so the two wee boys came up to the window and the window was quite high. So one wee boy got down on his, his, his knees and the other wee boy stood on his back so they could see in the window. And as he's looking in the window, one of the old brothers got his eye on this old sweet boy looking in the window. And you know what we do when we get people that are interested? We try and chase them away as quick as we can. So this old boy went out and he chased the old boy, the, the boys away. And as the boys were running across the field, it's reported that one wee boy said to the other wee boy, what were they doing in there? And the other wee boy said, I don't know what it was, but they weren't enjoying themselves. <laughs> the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Look at this. Those who were full of the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what happened. In Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, they took practical responsibility for helping the Christians. You know what happened in Acts chapter 6? There was a... They they, they needed... There was apostles that were trying to preach and they were trying to pray and there was practical things to be done. You know, there was just logistical things to be done amongst the Christians. People needed fed or the chairs needed sorted or the, the doors needed done and Paul says you know see for people who are doing practical responsibility don't think that they are any less important than anybody else it says pick out people that are full of the Holy Ghost you know that you can do practical things in exactly the same way as somebody that does a spiritual work and it's just exactly the same work it's a work of the Holy Spirit of God you know, when you put the chairs back, that's a work of the Spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit of God. That's you being evidence that you're a, a, a fool of the Holy Spirit of God. Acts chapter 7 and verse 55. Peter's preaching and he's about to be stoned. And he looks up to heaven, full of the Holy Ghost. And what does he see? He sees the glory of God. He sees the glory of God. And that's how God reveals himself to us by his Holy Spirit. As we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, we get a greater appreciation of God's glory. God's glory. You see, we live in a world where Christian ministry is all about, let me make you feel good. It's all about you. It's all about you. You're the important one. Now, we know that God thinks we are important because he sent his son to die for us. But this Christian ministry that feel good, be good, you know, it's all about you, it's all about you. The Bible says it's all about God. 
So I'm going to give one to the glory of God. Acts chapter 11 and verse 24. Barnabas was the other one that was full of the Holy Ghost. Do you know what he did? He encouraged believers to cleave fast to the Lord. And you and I know people that the minute they sit down beside you, you know they're going to encourage you to stick to the Lord, don't you? You know that they're going to encourage you in the things of the Lord. They know that they're going to encourage you to go on for the Lord. And you know that those people are full of the Holy Spirit of God. One last diagram and then we're finished. No, sorry. We'll just, there was the best for Barnabas. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his debauchery, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Take Ephesians 5 when you go home and go down for the next few verses and see what the Holy Spirit of God, a filled Christian does. A filled Christian is a good husband. A filled Christian is a good wife. A filled Christian is a good daughter or son. A filled Christian is a good employee. A filled Christian is a good employer. A filled Christian sings psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. A filled Christian doesn't esteem their own things better than anybody else. Go down through Ephesians 5 and you'll see it. So, here's some other distinctions I want you to see. Here's a little pyramid that I'll start on the next time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's our basis, folks. That's the work that God did in the book of the Acts, Acts chapter 2. On conversion, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he says. You are sealed with God's mark on conversion. So having God done his work in Acts 2 and you being converted, the next thing God commands you to be is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's where we've been in the last couple of weeks. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This is a kind of pyramid of progression, if you see what I mean. And when a person's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the evidence is what? What we read in Galatians 5. That was why I wanted to get there tonight. The unfruitful works of darkness, you know what they are. But the fruit of the Spirit is bump, bump. So the filling of the Spirit produces godly character. That's the first thing. It doesn't produce works so much as character. Then the next thing we read about is once a person is filled with the Spirit and exhibits the fruits of the Spirit, then, and only then, are they in a position where they can minister the gifts of the Spirit. And so you get into 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and you read that God grants gifts by His Spirit to believers. Now, what is a, a gift of the Spirit? I'm not going to say, define it at the moment, because it would take us into a whole other area. But can you see the pyramid? God does his work at Acts 2. We're converted, we're sealed and indwelt by the Spirit. Then as we go on in our Christian life, we're filled by the Spirit and we start to manifest the fruits of the Spirit and then God by his grace allows us to take the gifts that he's given us and use them for what? His glory. His glory. So God's Spirit is working continually to one aim, the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that was probably a bit more than I intended to say tonight. But that will put an end to that subject of the filling of the Spirit. And if I get one more night, we'll move on to the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and look at what the gifts of the Spirit are, how God gives gifts and what type of gifts he gives and how those gifts are used. Let's just pray. Lord, we're so thankful for thy word. We would wander, we would stray, we would invent in our own mind the things that suits ourselves but we thank thee for this anchor the anchor of the word of God that brings us back and thou hast revealed thy mind and thy ways in the word of God and we're so thankful for that and so while we wander and stray we, we, we want to come back and just pick up thy word and say Lord teach me thy way
Show me thy path, Lord. Make us pleasing to thee in every way. And we just pray that this might be the case. We're thankful for our time together. As we have a little refreshment now, we give thee our thanks in the Lord's name. Amen.